Hello, Annabelle Crab. Oh, me back. Can I? What's wrong with you back? I fell down some stairs this week. It's oh. just been a real mother of a week. Oh, what happened? <laughs> I was um, at a shoot for our new series um, mm-hmm. and very steep driveway and then um, some sort of stone steps. Made it down the driveway, stupidly was wearing heels because I had wardrobe on for filming, <sighs> foolishly. Uh, absolute arse over. Just have felt like... Just I'm 80 years old ever since. Before I ask how you are, let me ask the more important question. Mm. Was this captured on camera? Thank you very much for your sensitivity. (laughs) I know I can rely on your support. Um, uh, No, it was not. Um, I just did a little bit of, got down the bottom, just a little bit of cowering, you know, like when you just sort of, I was just in a sort of hedgehoggy ball and um, the producer that I work with was sort of like patting me and saying sort of redundantly, are you okay? I'm like, Uh, and you know that thing yeah where you just like (gasps) it's a hideous feeling when you fall I think you have like proper shock like it it really is very rattling yeah because um all of your (laughs) ideas about being a functional human being who remains upright is just yeah anyway so I just have covered with bruises and just sort of like mincing around the place just sort of every now and again going oof I'm like every time I sit down, stand up, I go oof. That did is, you break the floor with your hands, or what, what did, I did you can't, take? I can't. I was carrying oh. a kind of suit bag with oh. some clothes in it, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I it, it all just I went didn't, flying. Didn't yeah, it? I didn't. Oh. I minced up my legs a bit, but the rest of me is fine. I don't know. Nothing's broken. It's totally fine. Just a bit. Ugh. Um, but just while I'm getting all my gripes out of the way, that is not even the most profound bad thing that's happened to me this week you know what else has happened what i've ruined my laptop what Mm. so i was at work the other day and i was sort of heading home uh and i thought oh nothing for dinner so i went and bought half a uh roast duck and i've got some pancakes at home some cucumber i'll make duck pancakes for the kids right yep perfect very easy Got the duck chopped up into a little plastic container that they give it to you in, in a plastic bag, pop that in my bag. Oh, no, it leaked. Right. Duck so juice everywhere. Duck fat. Oh. Yeah. And so anyway, I'm thinking, oh, anyway, when I got my laptop out, same bag, ding, 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 idiot. Uh, I thought, oh, there's a bit of a smear oh. of like oil on my... Yeah, seems to have got into the recharge oh, um, no. thing. So now laptop doesn't charge and I'm just dreading or I've made an appointment to go in in like, you know, three weeks' time, which is when the next available um, appointment is. And I'm already just I'm just wilting with shame at the prospect of saying to some, you know, 22-year-old person who's good with computers, like, oh, it seems to be the problem, man. Well, there was this, I didn't have anything duck. for dinner. And it, just, it started with a duck, a very oily duck. And anyway, and just I can anticipate the withering, so you know. Can I, when you buy a duck, yeah. so they'll chop it for you, will they? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, because I've never bought one. And what's always put me off is because I just think, well, I don't know how to chop that thing. Oh, so just out the back of the ABC, yeah. there's a fantastic little kind of, you Where know. they're in the window hanging up. Yeah, yeah I know just go say, yeah. give us half a duck, would you? And they just yank a half a duck down and they just go bang, 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 bang with a cleaver. Oh, so you don't even have to ask for it to be chopped. They just chop it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Do they get the bones out and everything? No, they chop it with the bones. So okay. you just pull off the, you know, anyway. Okay, good. Yeah. Good don't put it in with your laptop though because that's a stupid <laughs> idea. Can I give you an update about um, two things related to the last podcast? 
Yeah. I've realised that I've been labouring under a misconception. Oh, I love these moments. Just my, my mind is already racing just to just and also luxuriating in the thought of the humiliation that's about to <laughs> So you, re- you might remember um, <laughs> on last time's podcast I um, was somewhat dismissive of the gift of a candle. Oh, oh yeah. No, I remember that. So do <laughs> and- the good people at... <laughs> overpriced candles are us. <laughs> so what I've what I've sort of the mis uh, have you heard from like a hundred people who gave you a candle well, and now the misapprehension just... that I've been labouring under. Thank you for stealing my punchline. Is that um, I assumed that my friends would not listen to this because oh. like don't they just get enough of my shit in reality? Like why would they listen to me banging on about a podcast? I, but judging know. from the number of people who've been in touch with me uh, to go. Oh my god! I feel so bad because I get, I've given you a candle, <laughs> and then I've had to be like, "Well, you know, I didn't I didn't mean your candle." Anyway, my friend Melanie was one of them. <laughs> Melanie's texted me and gone, "Oh god, Melanie!" So, by the way, loveliest, most thoughtful, perceptive person in the world. Well, I hope you feel bad about making her feel <laughs> so bad because Melanie. she is the nicest person alive. <laughs> so Melanie's texted me and gone, "Oh my god, I feel so bad." Like I've because I've given you a candle, and I I replied and went, "No, you haven't, because you give the best gifts in the world." Like you, she's Melanie's always showing up with like. Because she's an amazing cook, passion fruit curd and honey from her dad's farm, and like bowls of beautifully made Rocky Road, and like just she's the most awesome. And that candle that you forgot about because you instantly binned it. That's the thing. <laughs> You've never registered anyone giving you a candle, you know so I... you think, eh, no problem. I'm all clear. But so I've just I've said to Melanie, "You've never, I'm, you've never given me a candle because you give great gifts." And so Melanie, the psychopath, has texted me a photo of a candle she's given me on my dressing table. So at some point, I think to say, thank you, Melanie, for the candle, I've actually taken her candle upstairs, put it on my yep. dressing table and lit it and then before I've been Straight to the bin. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but can I just point out for all of, you know, Melanie supposedly being a lovely human, what sort of a psychopath keeps a photo years on so that they can prove to you that they gave you a candle? So Why I'm calling it. clear their photos? You're the crazy person. You're the crazy person. I, you don't no, keep Melanie's, anything. The rest of us I keep told, things sometimes just because we're... You know, we've got other things to do apart from sort through our goddamn photo files and get rid of, like, (laughs) impetuously taken stills of candles that in the age of bulk storage really do not offend any kind of personal maintenance strictures. Would you just... Well, it paid off for Mel because she was able to just go back and get it as a photographic proof. But I told her that I was going to tell this story on the pod and I said (laughs) in the same way that, like, you know, people are now known as Hot Callum and, you know, other nicknames from the pod, that she would forever now be known as Candle Melanie. So suck it, Mel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other thing I want to give you an upcreek for, uh, update about, is um, Shit's Creek. All right. Okay. Now, everyone... I think I did said. Did you persist? Well, I you remember I, I put a call out and said, people, let me you know, did. should I persist? Yeah. Um, 99 out of 100 people said, you've got to persist, you've got to persist. Right. Um, one or two people said, mm, you're not liking it by season two, it's just not really back. So I've watched through to the end of season three. Still it's nothing. It's average, yeah. All right. It's like, and I feel bad because I see people go, oh, God, it's kept me going through Melbourne lockdown and it just, I don't know, like it's its okay. I find it just nearly okay. So, yeah. But I do think that you should dress exactly like Moira. <laughs> you would look awesome in that batshit crazy stuff. <laughs> 
And again, I struggled to intuit exactly how to take this insight. <laughs> Do you know Chris, who does my makeup, told me I was talking about Moira's hair saying, oh, it's like dark also the, also the operator of your wardrobe spreadsheet, let's be clear. <laughs> I was talking to him about her hair and saying, oh, it's that sort of look that's like dark colour underneath and a pale like blonde on top. And he goes, um, Dal, that's called the top deck. <laughs> Is that <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> anyway, so I didn't, I'm not loving Shit's Creek, but let me tell you about something I am loving. Yeah. A TV show called Love. Um, the executive producers Judd Apatow, who yep. did oh, yep. Anchorman, Awkward. Um, yep. 40-Year-Old Virgin, blah, blah, blah. Awkward, exactly. He does a great line in Awkward. So the premise of it is basically two people in their 30s who have a chance meeting at a garage and then they start having a relationship. And it's just about, it's a bit stop and start and it's just awkward and fragile and, you know, difficult. And, oh, my God, it's just so well done. It's It's the kind of show, it reminds me of, Fleabag and Ooh. Please Like Me and um, what's the other show that I was thinking it was a bit like that's a relationship-based thing that's heavily dialogue-based? Uh, I can't think. But it's um, it's sort of small um, and it's just it's observational. One of observational and one of those things where the characters will have, you know, two or three lines and then it will – but it says so much more than what they're actually saying with right. their dialogue. Um, and the char- the two leads, it's the girl – I forget the actress's name, but she was on – she's Britta in Community, which is another show I really like. Oh, okay. Right. And uh, the guy's name's Paul Rust. And they're really well cast as well. They've got sort of great chemistry, but they're both – both of their characters, you sort of find them simultaneously, as you do, you know, in reality, both irritating and lovable at the same time. Oh, okay. And, and is it sort of half-hour eps kind yeah, of Yeah, half-hour eps. And where is it? Where, what's it on? It's on Netflix. I burned hmm. through season one in a week. and I'm, Wow. Yeah, and I'm just sort of, it's one of those things where, you know, when I'm catching up with people, I'm like, when are they leaving? Because I just want to get back and watch some more of that. So Take your candles with you, <laughs> assholes. Get out of here and take your candles with you. Um, that's interesting that you should, so you've, you've name-checked Fleabag. Yes. Um, I picked up a book the other day um, on the basis of two recommendations on the cover. Yeah. One of them says uh, this book is as devastating and sharply witty as Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Fleabag. Mm. And I, whenever I read that on the front cover who, who of a book. Who said that? Uh, bookseller and publisher. Okay. <laughs> a bit of a boilerplate. I don't yeah. know who at bookseller and publisher, but <laughs> tell you what, if this doesn't work out, I'm tracking them down. <laughs> Sorrow and um, Bliss by Meg Mason. Yeah, it's called Sor- Sorrow and Bliss. Terrible title uh, by Meg Na- by Meg Mason. That's actually a, just a ridiculously rude thing to say. It's a fine title. Nothing wrong with it. Um, but I always think, oh, right, is it really like is it really like Fleabag though, or are you just kind of you know hopping off the Fleabag bandwagon? Yeah, right. Um, but there's also a recommendation from Alison Bell, who wrote The Letdown, great straight actor, and I would walk through fire at her command. So I thought, righto, and such a good book. Yeah, I've heard good things about and this book. And yep. so richly warrants the um, the Fleabag reference because right. it's about the principal character is this woman who is married and she is married to um, a boy that she's known all her life and they kind of, after he'd had a crush on her for years and years, she finally kind of turned to him after another failed marriage and she has an unspecified mental illness that is never named over the course of the book, but the whole book is an account of her relationship and her struggle to acclimatise herself and her relationship with her mother and her relationship with her husband. 
and it is so funny and oh. so devastating. It's really spiky writing, completely compelling. I absolutely loved it. Oh, I okay, it good. Yeah. All right, that sounds right up my alley. Have you? Can I take that? Yes, you can. Awesome. Thank you very there much. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Toots. Um, Does what it says on the tin. Great. Very good. Um, I There's another show I'm watching that I'm loving at the moment um, called The Split. It's on ABC. Oh. Did you watch season one of that? No, I didn't. And in fact... I kind of flick through and see it on iView and I think, oh, should I watch that? Um, I haven't as yet. I, look, I have got friends who absolutely love it. I like like it but I'm not completely in love with it. It's about a um, law firm which is a family law firm, Defoe's, and it's been sort of set up by the mother and then there's three daughters, two of whom worked in the law firm. But it's been – season two it's been taken over and absorbed into another Oh, I just thought firm. it was about the Labor Party split. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Look, no sign of Tony Blair yet, but I mean, who knows? Um, and uh, it's also the sort of personal life of it sort of revolves around the eldest daughter's life, um, based both as a lawyer and her personal life. Right. Like it, it's it's what really is the well split done. of the title? Who's the is, split is um, basically about? Well, there's lots of different splits actually, but it's does anyone actually do the splits? <laughs> no, and there's no banana splits either. <laughs> It's split, you know, definition, noun, separation is yeah. what we're talking about. Um, Which brings me back to my first question. Separation of what? What is the um, law firm breakdown? The law firm, well, well, I guess that one, the eldest daughter has left the family. In season one, she's left the family oh. law firm to go to a different law firm. Right. Um, she and her husband are having trouble. They're, it's a family law firm, so it's oh, always divorces and okay. stuff, blah, blah, right. blah. So there's so multi-splits. On a few, on a few More splits yeah. than it's a, a calisthenics level. tournament. I'd suggest if you liked season one that you'd definitely like season two. It's more Should of I, the same. Of course, I'll have to start with season one, though. Yeah, you would I? have to start yeah. with season one. Look, on your summer holidays, if you were sort of noodling around looking for something to watch, I'd say it's perfectly acceptable, but it's not like one of those ones like the Bureau where I'm going to be, every time I see you, I'm going to go, have you watched the Bureau yet? You've got to watch the Bureau. Which like I still haven't, sorry. Come on, I've just been busy. <laughs> well, that you should watch it over summer because it's okay. you, you just want to binge the bureau. And okay, the, I've not recommended the bureau to a person who hasn't absolutely loved it and you know profusely thanked me every time they see me. So just look, it's up to you if you want to watch it or not. But I just put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I've been watching, which I loved, is um, are you on just a TV binge at the moment? Yeah, I, you've I'm been making so much television lately. I wouldn't have thought you'd have much. I have been. Insanely busy, but I think that's I haven't re been reading anything, and uh -huh. I think it's because it's it's watching TV is a more passive activity. Yeah, yeah. right. So, um, a show that a lot of people told me I should watch. I've only watched one episode though. Um, Song Exploder. Oh, did you watch the Lin Manuel yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, okay. That's the only one I've watched. So it's about the writing of um, Wait for It. Yeah, right. And Interesting choice. Yeah, um, Wait for It is a song that I. Yeah, can I just say again? Sorry, everyone sorry, everybody. Who's sick of us just talking going. about this. God, sorry. Skip forward three what minutes. Pop um, it's a song that I has was not one of my favourites until I. Watched, watched the Disney, it, yeah. and now it's now I really think it's an amazing song, and really actually quite like it. Um, anyway, Lin Manuel, they talk a lot about the, and Lin has kept on his iPhone a lot of demos and early sort of versions of things, and so they're able to play things and talk about the evolution of it, which, as you know, is so far up my ballpark. You know, what, um, what there's this in the manner of a mixed metaphor. <laughs> Get up a ballpark, <laughs> and like, how is it meaningful well, I was gonna say, to be either a little bit up the ballpark I was or all say the way something up? Something rude, and then I thought, no, just pull it back to something innocuous. So in my ballpark, um, <laughs> so 
there's this bit which is amazing where he finally gets the chorus. Death doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes. Um, and he's on. The, he's going to a friend's birthday party, and so he's on the subway heading out. It's quite. He says it's quite a long subway mm. trip from where he is, <gasps> and it sort of comes to it. He's just like thinking about it as he's on the train, and then it just comes to him. And so as he gets when he gets off the subway and he's walking to his friend's place, he just starts singing into his iPhone so he doesn't forget oh it because he's God. worried he's going to forget yeah, it. Of course. Yeah. And so they play in the episode the recording on the oh. phone of him just noodling it along as he's walking, and he's puffing because you can see that he's in a hurry. Oh. And, has he, and has he got and he's got the words already? Yeah, yeah. it's it's basically um, the chorus as we know it, yeah. but not quite as fully formed, but. Yeah. It's definitely there. And it's just amazing to that is hear so it. so cool. And then he says he gets to the party and because he knows he's finally got it, he stays for about half an hour, just enough to be sort of like, yeah, mate, I've come to your party. I've got to go. And then he goes. Anyway, it's um, if you're a Hamilton fan, you just love it. It's just not, great. You just hate Lee Sales even a little bit more than you already you did right now. You absolutely do. So, uh, but anyway, it's good. Yeah. You'll like it for sure. Uh, I've been reading – Quite a bit um, mm. and a little bit of television, mainly kid-based sort of oh, TV yeah. stuff. Yeah, like what? Um, we've been watching this show called Magic for Humans, which is on uh, Netflix, which yeah. is basically street magic performed by this guy. I can't remember his name. But, he's, you know, he's he's just basic sort of magic spiv type, you know, kind of good-looking, charismatic, you know, pulls rabbits out of things. Yeah. But he just wanders around and essentially does magic in the streets for completely – stunned passers by and um <laughs> there's one stunt that he does called um trick question right. where he says i pull someone up and says like all right this is a thing called trick questions i do a trick and then ask you a question and he does some amazing like he's he's pretty impressive some of the tricks are kind of astounding and then he just asks a completely random question like you know i don't know What's your favourite colour? Yeah, something stupider than that even. Of course, I can't think of a single one of them now. This anecdote's going so well. Um, anyway, but it's it, it, it's childishly entertaining. There's one um, where he kind of um, words up a whole group of people who are just out in Central Park or somewhere in this little area of park enjoying their day and he's going to convince two people that he's made them invisible <laughs> and he – actually manages to do it with their <laughs> with the crowd's cooperation it is like absolutely sobbingly funny anyway, oh that sounds great yeah if you are watching it with kids have a look first because there's a little language in one of the episodes that I saw and the one that's about love has an anal sex reference which probably your kids won't want to um you know think about <laughs> yeah n- not right away um, so um yeah that reminds me of um to, to give you an example of how I was saying in love how little episodes happen that sort of say a lot more than what's the action on screen is yeah which is what yeah, I think yeah. Fleabag does really well too oh, and God, please yeah. like me yeah um he takes her to this magic club that he's really into. He's quite a geeky nerdy right. sort of sweet guy and she's quite an edgy um sort of somewhat abrasive kind of woman and she he takes her to this magic club and it's quite he's on one level you sort of you can see it from both sides because he he's sort of sweet and vulnerable and he's introducing her to something that's really important to him and that he really loves and that it's a bit he knows is a little bit geeky but he's just really eager that she would like it as much as he likes it so he takes it to this magic club but then from her perspective 
she doesn't really like it and she's not really that into it and she's not the sort of person who really wants to fake that she's into it either. Right, okay. And so then she goes to it and then she manages to be sort of a bit rude and, and, you know, difficult and they leave. And then there's a scene where they're driving in the car on the way home. And then he's just got that deflated thing that you sometimes get when you've been a bit vulnerable with somebody and hoped that they're going to like and something. And then they, Yeah, and then they just haven't. And so you feel a little bit crushed by it. Um, it's not, um, it's done much more subtly than I've just explained it. Mm. So I've, I've, you know, Lee explained it, but it's, it's not as um, obvious as that. But it's like this kind of thing where you feel irritated at her because you think, um, well, why couldn't you just pretend that you were having a good time? Or why couldn't you just be a bit make a few more allowances or try to like be generous to him because it's clearly important to him but then on the other side you feel like why would you take it as such a stupid thing for your first date like you know just take her out for a nice meal and don't it's too much like it's too much early on and so then you can sort of see it from both sides but it's just that I think that just captures those awkward moments early on in relationships where you're and trying to connect. how much this and... is actually being spoken aloud or like... Oh, none. none. So the, is there a kind of interior monologue happening that you can hear? I think that you're doing, as the viewer, some of the oh. work because you're... Um, you're interpreting and reading things into it. So he never says, oh, I'm really disappointed that yeah. he didn't like it. But you're you just intuiting see, yeah. that. You can just see it. Yeah. I wonder if someone with low emotional intelligence would watch that and just go, that's the most boring show I've ever seen. There's two people just driving along in a car. Yeah, possibly. And I think you, you just you put your own sort of um, experience and stuff, I guess, into it because, you you know, you, you're somebody else watching that scene would – and I think that's the beauty of great writing because if, if there's enough space, you can interpret it and – connect with it as you want. Do you remember that great episode of Master of None where the at the, the end, back of the car, oh, like. Brilliant. Just so we've talked about this in the podcast before um, where the end of Master of, of an episode of Master of None, he's just got this massive crush on this girl and he's dropped her home and nothing's happened. And then to, he's, to her boyfriend's place. Yeah, to her yeah. boyfriend's house. And <laughs> the last two minutes of the show is Even just longer, a long shot. Yeah of him just kind of being in the backseat of the taxi and just and it never being cuts. disappointed. It just doesn't cut. It's, it's just an amazingly so kind long. of arsy piece of television making. And, really. and it, I mean, again, like there's no dialogue, so mm. you're, you're putting your own meaning yeah. on it. Like in my head when I was watching that scene, I was thinking, oh, man, it's that feeling of when someone gets out of a car or leaves your company who, who you really like and you feel you've got that feeling of exhilaration still lagging because you've been in their yeah. company. And then it's sort of that you start thinking about more things. And I felt like watching him that yeah. he was exhilarated and he was thinking back over the night and smiling and then he starts thinking, oh, now she's home with her boyfriend and it hasn't really worked out and, oh, God, I'm such a loser and why am I, Why do I fancy someone who's already got a boyfriend? And like, and I felt like it, that was all over his face yeah. and the sort of the loneliness of the late night cab ride home by yourself yeah. and um I th- and I just thought that was a brilliant – I remember when we talked about it previously, you said, you know, using up two, three minutes of real estate in a 25-minute television show to stay on an MCU of somebody in the back of a cab so not bold. saying anything. Yeah. Oh, my God. But it. I just thought that was absolutely fantastic. It's supreme risk-taking. Uh, totally paid off. Yeah, I agree. Well, this show as well – because, you know, we're saying Judd Apatow's a master of awkward. Yeah. It holds um, shots a little long or moments where yeah. you feel like, like say, for example, when um, somebody finally gets together and they kiss, often you'll then cut away from the kiss yeah. to a new scene. Yeah. Whereas they'll... Um, finish the kiss. Finish the kiss. And then, like, then what happens? And so yeah, they just right. hold everything that little bit 
long. Oh. And so it's great because it, it just feels... Like real life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... Hey, um, something that I watched on television that I've been really, really looking forward to um, all year is um, Reputation Rehab. <gasps> Dying to hear about this. Okay. So, all right. Well, I'm kind of very, very interested in Rep- Reputation Rehab. It's a um, project presented by Kirsten Drysdale and Zoe Norton Lodge. Both, um, I'm big fans of both of them. And also it's... Um, been put together by a great um, ABC director called um, Melina Wicks and also Sophie Braham, um, a writer oh. who we've worked with who's yeah. just like one of the funniest writers I know. She's going to be somebody that we're going to see like, picking up her Oscar or something. Being like, she once did something with us and we, we called her. We said number. she was I amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> she does lots of writing for Gruen and she did some writing for us, which would probably be the only time we'll ever be able to secure her services for, back in, for when I've got a minute. I reckon I'm going to see her at something and go, Look, yeah. I'm not sure if you remember me. My name's Lisa. She'll be like, piss to- off, sales. I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. anyway, so they've been working on this series called Reputation Rehab and it's sort of a bit about outrage culture. It's a bit about, you know, surviving public shaming and, you know, how reputations work in the social media age and so on. And it's interesting because I think, you know, people hearing about the series are like, this is going to be about cancel culture, which it isn't. I think, anyway, their first episode, uh, which um, I just watched, is about Nick Kyrgios, right? Fantastic. And, uh, and, you know, like he is, I, I, don't, I think he's really hard to get an interview with and I think they battled for a long time yeah I've tried to get a sit down and it is so good it's really interesting because you see him interviewed in a situation where he's he hasn't just chucked a racket at someone or he hasn't just you know been an arsehole to somebody or whatever and you know there's lots of good things about Nick Kyrgios I mean he's obviously um you know he was super proactive during the bushfire crisis he's like um I think he does a lot of good stuff with disadvantaged kids and but of course the thing that we mainly know him for is being a jerk on court anyway so Kirsten and Zoe go and have a talk to him about his reputation and they start thinking about you know ways that they could help fix him up but that's not really the main thrust of the show it's more just looking at the texture of a reputation yeah and um they got this great without giving I mean I'm giving it away a little bit but like they they find Malcolm Malcolm Knox, who's a sports writer, oh, yeah. who wrote like this That's absolute fantastic. flaming um, column once about Nick Kyrgios, basically saying, you know, just get out of town, you know, you're a disgrace to us all, etc. And um, they go back and they um, work through with Malcolm Knox that column that he wrote and what what he thinks of it now. Oh, and they yeah. said, okay, well, we're going to get you to rewrite this column, um, and we're all going to stand behind you and critique you while you do it. <laughs> writing this column it's sort of ostensibly a letter to Nick Kyrgios and the whole crew of the show is standing behind going no you've no you've you've absolutely stuffed that up no that's stupid that's a dumb way to open no out foot fault like and it's so funny and Malcolm Knox is such a good sport about it oh that's but like by absolutely any stretch the highlight of the episode is Nick Kyrgios's mum who they interview who is just an absolute she is a legend Anyway, it'd be a good. I reckon it'd be a not that I'd want to sign up for it, but I reckon it'd be a great thing for people in public life if if once a year they had to let their mum be interviewed. Oh, 
Could you imagine what insight that would give you into people and what they're actually like? Booking the interview with your mum immediately. So did you like, how did you feel about Nick Kyrgios at the end of that? Loved him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I hated myself, but I'm like, this show's working. I think because I just, he said he was incredibly blunt and very funny uh, during the interview. So he was exactly the person that you see in the press conferences. Right. But. Because he hadn't committed an atrocity, yeah, all of that sort of sort of dashed off one-liners and kind of casual kind of I don't know because it didn't come from a background of oh I've just done something dreadful so now my um, non-repentance just looks like assholery. Yeah, it actually was clearer for what it probably always is, which is just like this guy's a real larrikin kind of, you know. Also, also I think the nature of media reporting often is that people are reduced to um, a caricature, whereas once if you see a longer interview with somebody or they're in their own, it looked like it was at his house or his mother's house, that interview, the shot of it, once you see people in their own environment or there's a bit more space given to them, you realise, oh, it's a bit more nuanced than what I actually thought. And the other thing that he says that I hadn't really thought about, even though it's Screamingly obvious. He says, because he's he says, oh, tennis, it's a bloody stupid game. <laughs> like, it's just, it's like, I prefer basketball. I mean, basketball's much cooler. <laughs> but he says, well, the thing is with tennis, like you lose all the time. I mean, most players lose most tournaments. Yeah, right. Like, that's essentially, there's only one winner and there's right, X number of you players. You just lose yeah, right. the whole time. Yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, I, thought, I really want to yeah, watch that. Um, before we run out of time, can I give you a quick to update on, not update, but, you know, quick take on two two things. Um, one is the Comey rule on Stan. Okay, I started is, watching that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it pretty dull, actually. I fell asleep in it just yeah. yesterday. Um, Do you know what? It's because while the um, stakes were high and the decisions that Comey made had a lot of impact, the process leading up to them is a really boring, frankly, legal process that doesn't lend itself very well to drama. Yeah. And I also think, I don't know, I, I'm loving Holly Hunter as Sally Yates. She was great. Yep. Um, there, there is possibly the worst uh, Australian accent I've ever heard. Oh, I know exactly what, like playing Alexander, Alexander Downer. Downer. <laughs> oh, my God. He clearly never Googled Alexander Downer. In, uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that was pretty pretty. It was it was average, I thought. Um, and uh, I watched a film called The Good Liar, which um, oh, yeah. is it's a very slick looking film. It's Helen Mirren and Ian McKellen, and uh, it's sort of um, without giving too much away. It's I guess a heist kind of film, psychological thriller sort of thing. Unfortunately, the there's a twist and I feel like it's telegraphed fairly heavily and so Uh-oh. you see it coming from a mile. So I enjoyed it because I, I think they're amazing and Helen Mirren's wardrobe's really cool and it's set in London and it sort of I just enjoyed seeing London. Um, but it was pretty forgettable. Okay. Well, instead of watching that, can I recommend, yes. and it only, it's only five minutes long, yes. if that, oh, my God, there's the funniest skit. Um, I think Netflix, I don't know. I just saw it on social media um, and it's, Sarah Cooper, you know, the yeah. lip sync Trump. Oh, oh my she's God, she's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, she is reproducing the Hollywood, you know, extra or whatever. You know, the interview on the bus with oh, Trump yeah. and the reporter where he's grabbing them by the pussy. You know, I that saw you famous... tweeted this, but I haven't watched it. <gasps> okay, so it's, it's Sarah Cooper playing Trump yeah. and Helen Mirren playing the reporter. 
you know the dickhead reporter who's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. And they, Dunn, whatever his name is. Yeah. Right, I can't remember his name because yeah. forgettable human yeah. ant. Um, yeah. But, oh, my God, it's so funny because Sarah Cooper, who of course, oh. just somehow as a black woman manages to be exactly like Donald Trump. I don't oh. know how she manages that. And Helen Mirren is being this goofball kind of idiot <laughs> meathead interviewer. <laughs> and they basically just keep snapping each other with towels. And oh. it is so perfect and so wonderful. It is like about three and a half minutes of pure delight. Uh, did he, I, I think I've said this on the pod before too. Ridicule is a really underused weapon, <laughs> I think, against morons yeah. and one of the things I've loved about what Sarah Cooper has done is she's just ridiculing Trump using his own words. Mm-hmm. Like she's not doing anything other than just acting out his own words. And I reckon it's some of the most devastating critique yeah. I've seen um, of Trump. It's fascinating. Okay, buddy, let's wrap it. All right. Mic drop. <laughs>